Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. My lovely Betwixters, this is Kate Lister. I'm jumping in with your weekly, bi-weekly actually, fair dues warning. Fair dues, this episode is going to contain a lot of naughtiness and it really is actually and it's not even all of my fault because I'm speaking to Kate Devlin who gives me the giggles quite badly and only encourages the swearing and the general disgraceful conversations of filth and awfulness. We're talking about sex robots. So that'll give you some indication of what's coming your way. There will be adult themes, there will be naughty words, there will be graphic descriptions and horrendous incidences of both of us oversharing. And if you can cope with that, then let's get into it. From hoovering to putting bottle caps on, robots are being proved upon all the time to do jobs formerly done by humans. But now they're capable of a whole different type of sucking and screwing. The arrival of the sex robot. It was inevitable really, isn't it? As soon as human beings come up with a new technology, it will be turned to pornographic sex purposes pretty damn quick. That's the future, possibly. But it also has a history. What is the history of the sex robot? How long have humans been trying to have sex with bits of machinery? And where did it all come from? Well, let's find out. I'm game if you are. What do you look for in a man? Oh, money, of course. <laughs> You're supposed to rise when an adult speaks to you. I make perfect copies of whatever my boss needs by just turning a knob and pushing the button. Yes, social courtesy does make a difference. Goodness, what beautiful time. Goodness has nothing to do with it, dearie. And welcome back to Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex scandal in society, with me, Kate Lister. Today, I am joined by Kate Devlin to find out about the long history of people trying to create their perfect partner and have sex with inanimate machinery. It does have a history, I promise you. What were the ancient and medieval answers to sex robots? How have these creations been imagined in films and books? And what are our current relationship with these robots like? Let's find out. And welcome to Betwixt the Sheets. I'm only here with Kate Flippin' Devlin, you fabulous woman. How are you? <laughs> I'm very well, thank you, and I'm very excited about this. I'm so happy to talk to you because your research is endlessly fascinating. And I still don't know if there's... I mean, I'm sure there are other people researching what you're researching, but you are like the sex robot 
Lady, the academic, the sex robot it person. It haunts me. I'm typecast now. <laughs> Absolutely typecast. I keep saying, but I do other things as well. And people are like, no, we don't want to hear no about this. We just want to hear about the sex robots. In fact, I got miscaptioned in, I think it was the Daily Mail, who put up a picture of a sex robot and put my name under it. <laughs> uh, which uh, I didn't know whether to be flattered or horrified. The Kate Devlin sex robot. Yeah, maybe maybe that's the next step. Maybe I should license my likeness. No one would buy it. I would buy it. <laughs> Oh, thanks. I would. I can tell the audience that, that Kate's really into wild swimming. I would totally buy your robot equivalent to go swimming with. A wild swimming robot could be dangerous. You get electrocuted. That's a good point. This is why I'm not an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's sex robots sound really futuristic, and this is a history podcast. However, they actually have a surprisingly long history, do they not? They really do. The stories do, anyway. We have yeah. stories going right back to the ancient Greeks. This whole thing of trying to create a perfect artificial companion. It's, it's a really compelling narrative and it's one that persists to this day, as we can see every time we watch a sci-fi movie with a femme fatale fembot in it. So there's a very strong compulsion to, to create the perfect woman. And it is very gendered. It is generally talking about women and controlling women. As you said that, I had like flashbacks to my teenagers. And what was that weird science? That was one where yeah, they try and right. create create a woman in a lab Kelly LeBrock yeah yes tweaking the boob size yeah because that's a fundamental part of every teenage movie in the 80s so yeah and there's there's a whole heap of them like that but I can't think of anywhere women are there anywhere women are trying to make a perfect man bot not really no I mean we have got representations like Gigolo Joe from the AI film Spielberg's AI but he's designed to pleasure women. He's almost a caricature because it's done in such a way that he is, it's just about pleasure and he doesn't really have any other purpose. But it's also very romanticized too. So the male sex robots are kind of depicted as being romantic creatures, whereas the female ones are predicted as being sexy and wild. See, that's interesting, isn't it? Because to try and come up with the idea of, well, what would the ideal man robot for women would be? We have to try and unpack this case of, what is a woman's sexuality? And that is a question that has not really been explored. We're much more comfortable with what they call the male gaze. Like we can see that that's sexy, right? Tits and that and that does that and this goes in and that goes out and that's sexy. But like the trying to unpack what a woman would want from a sex robot is much, much harder, I think. It really is. I don't think anyone's ever really stopped to ask us. That's a good point. What would she want from a sex robot? I mean, it could be anything. We could really make any kind of robot that we want. We've got so many different types of smart materials. It doesn't have to look human. You know, I, I asked people this at, at different events and I got some people to draw and design product, what they their <laughs> ideal one would be. And it was really interesting because some people said, well, what if you had sort of sex toy body and then on the top you had a screen where you could just read Literotica, which I thought was great. What a lovely idea. Wow. That, it's a hell of a question, isn't it? But I suppose like you're kind of into... Like, like a sex robot is effectively quite a visual thing, isn't it? Because it's just to look pretty and get shagged. Like that's kind of what that is. Well, or is it not? You say that, you say that. But actually, very interestingly, one of the things that seems to be happening with the, the sex robots that are in prototype or early development today, and that, I should pause here and say that there aren't really many out there in the world. It's really at a, a handful of workshops worldwide creating sex dolls with some animatronics in them. But they're selling them as companions. They are really emphasising the romantic aspects of this. 
And I have a wonderful PhD student, Chloe Locatelli, who's looking at this and she's looking at the way in which these things are advertised and marketed and really the kind of idea that it's almost, as she describes it, post-human sex work. Wow. But it's it's really placing the emphasis on this companion aspect. So you're not just buying, if you buy a sex robot, you're not just buying something to have sex with. You're buying something that will understand you and listen to you and be there for you. It's the girlfriend experience. It is the girlfriend experience. And because of the AI, it can be adapted and personalized to you. So you can have this chatbot that learns from your interactions. It's not particularly great right now, but the potential is there. But it's technology that's being developed by somebody. Because, yeah, I suppose, like, when you think about it, humans, we've been having sex with bits of machinery for a very long time. Very long time, yes. Right? It's like, that's what a vibrator is, ultimately, is it doesn't ask you how your day is, and it can't open jars. However... We could build one that could. Do you think we could? That would be <laughs> I think it. we could. I think we could. I'll put that on the list. But yeah, that's right. And and this, so the electromechanical vibrator has been around since the late Victorian period, as you know. And with a lot of myth around its origin, because there was a claim that it was there to treat hysteria in women. Of course, this is not actually evidence anywhere. This was one hypothesis, but it's really grasped the attention and people have run with that, but it's not actually founded in any evidence that I could find when I was researching it. But even before that, we have records. Again, those ancient Greeks, they were up to it all the time. But we have texts that, that talk about the use of dildos, for example. Well, I mean, yeah, and it's everyone kind of older generations think they've invented sex, but you don't. It's the actual function oh, yeah. of sex that feels nice if you rub that bit. That's remained pretty consistent since we first crawled out the sludge. What does change is new mediums to explore that. Do you mean like like a sex robot sounds really new, but the concept of the sex doll of just trying to fuck an inanimate object. <laughs> Which doesn't sound as high tech. Yeah, long history. <laughs> yeah, it was just this creation of a perfect individual for you. I think that's the thing that the sex robot in this humanoid form offers, that it is creating a partner of sorts, as opposed to the sex tech that is more disembodied, is more, well, not disembodied, discrete body parts, let's say. And also we now have these AI companions that can talk dirty to you, not your voice assistants. You can try it with your voice assistants, but they are designed to rebuff you. In that Siri voice. Yeah, there are AI chatbots that are emerging that are there for dirty talk. They are there for wow. a sexual experience, but disembodied completely because they're just a piece of software. They can have avatars, of course. What's the earliest records that you found? Of, I know it gets difficult to, to find this stuff, but like the earliest records that you've got of something like, not a robot, but a sex doll, the earliest evidence of someone trying to create, what would you call it, an, an automaton? There are stories that go back to people having sexual experiences with statues. So there's a paper that came out in 1975 and it was called Perversions Ancient and Modern. Hello. And it was about the classical evidence for statue sex. And apparently there's something like 11 accounts from ancient Greece and one from Italy. Wow. And there are stories about people that lust after statues. But this evidence is, it's not really verifiable. Although there are paraphilias, apparently, that is people who are sexually excited by statues. There's endless things that turn everybody on. Absolutely, absolutely. We have stories from 
we have Greek myths. My favourite one is one of the earliest ones, and it's a woman who creates the statue, the likeness of a man, her, her husband. So she was Laodomea, and her husband was, was killed in battle. And she really wanted him back. They hadn't been married long. So she prayed to the gods. They sent him back for three hours because the gods are capricious like that. That's mean. Isn't it? Isn't that really good? Oh, welcome Ooh. back. Oh, you got to go. And then so she decided she'd create a likeness of him. And some of the stories say that it, he was made out of wax. Some of them say it was made out of bronze. And then the bit that's interesting is that the story says she took it to bed with her and in quotation marks, interacted with it. Right, okay. Yeah, but it did not end well. These stories about sex robots and companions rarely do. Wouldn't if it was made of wax, no. Yeah, well, well, what happened was one of the servants was spying on her. Okay, no one seems to call out the servant's behaviour here. One of the servants was spying on her and like saw this through the keyhole and told her father and her father came in and... and the awkward. Her father came in awkward. and... Awkward. Yeah, threw the uh, likeness on a fire. And she threw herself after it. Oh, now that's just, that's sad. I've got favourite dildos, but I don't think <laughs> I'm not that attached. <laughs> oh. Crying as the bin men take it away. <laughs> no. <laughs> right, so that's a really early one. And then we've got like the Pygmalion of course. Pygmalion, yeah. So that's a, a story told by Ovid, the Roman poet. He's telling a Greek tale of Pygmalion, who was a bit messed up. I mean, Pygmalion's a little bit in Sally. So he really didn't like the women that were hanging around outside his house. He thought they weren't pure enough. I read that recently somewhere that apparently it was that he saw women selling sex and was so outraged by it. Yeah, he, he made a pure woman. This is a tale about almost delusion and duplicity. So this delusion is that Pygmalion feels that he really created the perfect being. And he's either really deluded because he thinks that this statue has come to life or something wondrous happens and this statue turns into a real girl. So he's either mad and he's having sex with the statue or something magical happens and he's having sex with flesh and blood. So if you look at it that way, it's not really a, 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 an artificial companion story because he believes it truly to be, mm. to be a real woman. That's true. I suppose the similarity, but he was trying to make the perfect... He was, yeah. So it was, again, it's a story about control mm. and a story about, about perfection and what you're trying to look for in a partner and manufacturing that partner. So that's definitely an element of it. Wow. And of course, that echoes right down the years because there have been so many, so many narratives based on that Pygmalion story. Yeah, there have. Like, and anything where, like, you've got the woman who needs to undergo some kind of massive makeover to become, like, everything from Greece and... My Fair Lady, that was, that was the one that I was yes, thinking yeah. of where she's made into this perfect woman. So we've got all these stories and there are actually littered all throughout history of men in particular attempting to make the perfect partner. Women, they do crop up, but do they crop up in it's kind of more like, I really loved him and now he's dead, so I'm going to make a dolly of him. It tends to be, yeah, that, that tragic love story as opposed to the perfect partner who will, who will be there for my every whim, yeah. That's the kind of thing that, that poor Laudamea was, you know, I miss my husband so much, I will make a replica of him. And there's a Black Mirror episode called Be Right Back, where the grieving widow 
decides to engage with this service that will reconstruct her husband's personality through all the social media posts. And then she gets the chance to make a ver- an Android version of him who kind of looks exactly like him, behaves like him, but not quite like him. So he's too agreeable. He doesn't contest her in the way that a real partner would, but she wants him back so desperately because she misses him so much. So I've often thought that is like, you'd need to work in a few bugs to this kind of stuff. If you could create the perfect person robot, because like ultimate compliance and looking amazing and perfect and being there would be a great novelty for a bit, but that would get boring pretty quick, wouldn't it? It would, I think. But you could do that. It's not impossible to be able to put in that level of... Build in a few arguments. Yeah, absolutely. That could be done. (laughs) It definitely could be done. And in fact, when that Black Mirror episode aired, which was quite a while ago now, I think it was like sort of 2014, something like that. One of the things that struck me watching it was if you were taking all those social media data, you'd also get a lot of that friction if you archive, you know, that tension or those, those kind of little quirks. For example, if you archived people's WhatsApp messages... And then went through those and reconstructed people out of that. Imagine the rise you'd have as well. <laughs> that is an insane theological point. Is like, what kind of you would they reconstruct if they went through your social media? Exactly. And that's the really interesting thing about social media is that we present so many different facets of our personalities through all these different avenues. Twitter me is probably different from Instagram me, for example. Instagram me posts nice pictures of nice things. Twitter me slags off the world and <laughs> gets angry about things. Facebook me posts an in you know group messages about while swimming so yeah it's it's this different individual personalities for different facets sex dolls have a very long history as well so shagging statues trying to like recreate perfect models of people has a weirdly long history it seems that's something that we've been very interested in so like when you think of a sex doll i guess you think of the kind of the inflatable ones beloved of stag do's the world <laughs> over they are definitely nicer than that and like say that someone <laughs> they are much nicer that is proper basic stuff yeah like you know we need to upgrade guys but going back like what's the evidence for people creating sex dolls as sex aids it's really hard to pin it down so there was i think it was bo ruberg they wrote a book recently about sex dolls at sea where they said essentially that the evidence is not there people were always saying oh these sailors were making sort of bundles of clothes and having sex with them yeah i've heard that yeah i have as well but given that we have these stories for a long time of things who knows certainly the the sex doll itself emerged when the technology was capable of, of creating the more and more lifelike forms i mean it's quite a niche thing but it's not that niche but it's incredibly taboo and people don't they really fear being judged if they are doll owners uh, which is which just you know seems quite unfair so when I went into to study the sex robots and was doing my research I admit that I was completely had bought into the the trope that people who own sex dolls must be some kind of lonely individuals who who can't form real world relationships and that's not true at all that was me being incredibly judgmental on very little evidence and I was Pleased to be proven wrong. And really, it's just, it's very much a a community, almost like a hobby that people have that, you know, in the same way that, you know, we we all have things that we do in our lives and it's part of our lives, but it doesn't mean it impacts our everyday relationships with others. When I wrote Curious History, I did a chapter on, on sex dolls. And at the time, and that was, I wrote it in 2019, there was very little research out there about the demographics of people that use sex dolls has that changed in the interim yeah there has been and fortunately a lot of the time the research is fairly respectful of that community and you know, I wouldn't dream of speaking for them but I really appreciate the help that they've given me in trying to understand that context 
in terms of sex robots. But yes, it tends to be predominantly straight men and they tend to be reasonably well off because they need to be to be able to afford these things, which run upwards of you know, $3,000 for a basic doll. And also the, the terminology is interesting too. So we, we do refer to them, we being the media and us and everyone discussing it called sex dolls. The people I've spoken to don't really like that term and dolls is fine, synthetic partners, things like that. But the one thing that people kept emphasizing to me was that it's not just about sex. So People are own these dolls for a number of reasons. Some because it is a sex thing and they may might even have a fetish to do with the dolls, but some because they want to have this relationship, have this projected relationship with their doll or dolls. And that's something that they get a lot out of. For others, it's about styling them, posing them and photographing them or just collecting them because they are really beautifully crafted. And when I went to see the workshop for Real Doll, I kind of went with an expectation that as a feminist, I'd be horrified at the objectification of the women. And then I was really struck with this cognitive dissonance because these things are so well crafted and beautiful. Uh, they really are finely made and the detail is is amazing. So we're not talking about the blow up inflatable doll Definitely here, not talking are we? About the no. blow up Tell me here. about these dolls that we're talking about here. What's the sort of the really premium doll? The really premium ones, I'd say that the real doll are probably one of the leading companies in that. And they will build a doll to your specification within a range. So you can choose the attributes from almost a menu in ways. And these are sort of life-sized silicone dolls that when you see them up close, of course, you're not going to think that they're real. But when you see them from a distance away and they're sitting there or in a picture, you, you do start to think, wow, that's really incredibly lifelike. But when you get really close, uh, you're walking around the workshop. And I remember seeing the foot of one of these and it had you know, tiny creases in the skin and little wrinkles in the toes wow. and, it was, and, and little freckles painted on. And it was just really fine detail that surprised me and actually I thought was quite beautiful in a way. What would these set you back? What's a top of the range doll? I'm not sure what the price are at the moment. I think it was around, you know, sort of three to five thousand dollars upwards for the dolls. I mean, like you can spend a lot of money on one of these things if you're going for high end things. There are, of course, cheaper versions. They're not as well crafted. They're not as artisan as that. Though I think they do some really good versions too. But yeah, so there are there's a wide range of different types available. I'll be back with Kate after this short break. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Don Wildman. And on American History Hit, my expert guests and I journey across the nation and through the years to uncover the stories that have made the United States. From first flight to first ladies, from stitching the star-spangled banner to striking gold in California, to shooting for the moon with Apollo, we've got you covered. Catch new episodes of American History Hit, a podcast by History Hit, every Monday and Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. Did Edison really take credit for things he didn't invent? Were treadmills originally a form of corporal punishment? And would man have ever got to the moon without the bra? You can expect answers to all these questions and more in the brand new podcast from History Hit, patented History of Inventions. Join me, Dallas Campbell, as I uncover what really sparked history's most impactful ideas. Each episode, I'll be recruiting the help of experts, scientists, historians, and even a few real-life inventors. Subscribe to Patented History of Inventions wherever you listen to your podcasts. I've got to ask, like, what happens with the vulva? Like, does that is that detachable thing take it out and wash it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> or, like, are they dragging the whole doll over to the sink? Like, what? No, it's you can take it out. So the dolls themselves are really heavy and they can't stand up on their own. So you can pose them, and when you touch them, it feels like someone's skin as it's just had moisturizer on it, really? but, but colder. But you can warm them with you know a blanket or a hot water bottle to get it up to the room temperature. But yeah. Okay. <laughs> it sounds really weird, doesn't it? it I mean, I, do you know what? It's kind of like the whole thing that unpins this is that what Freud would call, like, you know, well, he's got enough of his own going on, but he called it like uncanny, didn't it? And it is yes. that kind of feeling that for just some reason, like dolls, robots, artificial humans, they just give us the ick. And I feel really sorry for, you know, the guys that are just having fun with their dolls. And But it is kind of all caught up with this kind of like, oh, gross, you could like warm the vagina up before you take it to the yeah, sink and rinse I, it out. And I think a lot of the taboo does stem from this uncanny... Well, I mean, it also stems from from sex taboos yes. and, and the social, social attitudes of sex. But I think that... There is to be around the fact that these are uncanny. And uh, in robotics, that's a term that's used widely for machines that are humanoid. Oh, is it? We we should probably explain what Freud meant by that. What does he mean by uncanny? So this was the idea that something is, it seems real. It seems alive, but it's not alive. And no one really knows where this, why we react in this way, why we get the ick about it. But it's possible it comes from this, a fear of death Mm. so we see something that looks alive but isn't so it's redolent of death or a corpse Mm. and that might be a signal to our brains that this is not right uh that this is this is scaring us and 
in robotics, it's known as the uncanny valley effect. The idea that you create something that's very lifelike, but the minute it starts to portray any semblance of life, if it starts moving, if, it's, if it starts talking, and then of course you get freaked out because it's it's not really real. Yeah. And it's an effect that's observable in computer-generated imagery as well. So when Polar Express, the film, came out years ago, everyone was quite freaked out because these were computer-generated characters who weren't quite right. And our brain goes, oh, that's not right yeah of course in, in computer graphics now we've got so good at it that that uncanny valley is nearly crossed we don't really we can't really tell anymore in a film where the cgi is but in robotics unfortunately we're a very long way away from that and i'm actually think we probably shouldn't bother because it's so so complex to create a lifelike robot and like would you want to do it like would you want a robot that was indistinguishable from a human being that's the other question yeah that's the other one isn't it i think everyone's experienced that uncanny thing like anytime like you see a robot head when you're scrolling through twitter doing something <laughs> terrifying like like everyone has that kind of oh oh it's weird it's weird that's the un uncanny and it's anything that's something like is familiar but then it's not familiar like another example would be like you know scary kids in horror movies oh. like you know, like like a nice yeah. see oh. it's a very particular type of fear like when you've got a kid in there that like you know big like death eyes and they're singing horrible nursery <laughs> oh, rhymes singing. oh my god yes that's, <laughs> even worse if they're wearing uncanny. a mask and, and oh. <laughs> Anything like that that kind of gives you the the shivers the and dolls, the heebie-jeebies, and dolls definitely do that. So the idea that you'd get, I mean, ultimately, like, what's the difference really between a vibrator and a doll apart from price is the kind of, you know, but one kind of freaks you the fuck out and the other one is, you know, pretty culturally accepted. Yeah, so there's something elemental there. There's something there about the body and the embodiedness of the robot compared to the discreteness of some replica genitals mm. so an artificial vagina like a flashlight people go okay it's a sex toy put that flashlight in a life-size human doll and people get really freaked out that's so, true mm. and i think also like if you were to make like a false vulva that was insanely realistic that would also be terrifying in the same way that like i don't like dildos that look insanely real I'm just like why i don't want one that actually looks like a severed dick mm. give me one with rainbows and glitter yeah <laughs> Now, that's a really interesting one because that has changed dramatically over the past 20, 25 years. And it's come out of obscenity laws in Japan, apparently. No so, way. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So when the whole Sex and the City rabbit vibrator episode opened everyone's minds, the idea that you could have a vibrator that was essentially an optimized penis. A penis upgraded. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of abstracted. And it turns out that in Japan, there were laws around creating images replicas of genitals that was considered obscene and to get around this the manufacturers were creating abstracted versions and colored versions and fun looking versions oh and then of course people went oh actually that's not just a, a way around an obscenity law that's quite a nice design thing so we moved in this from this skeuomorphic design phase where function was the most important thing to something where now we have these sex tech companies creating beautiful absolutely ornamental almost sex toys and sex tech yeah that are favorite form of a function i mean they, they have both they still function perfectly well but they've become something more they've become pieces of art it's a kind of a shame that they have to spend so much of their lifespan in the dark, really. Isn't it? <laughs> well, I mean, in, in my office in work, I have them all out in the shelves. <laughs> so I kept getting sent more and more sex toys because I ran some uh, sex tech hackathons where we were trying to invent new forms of sex tech. 
and uh, all is wonderful because every week another box would arrive and, and in work and the office would say, hey, there's another box here. What's in it? We'd open it up and go, oh, where does that go? <laughs> That's really interesting. Wow. It was oh, really fun. The human imagination knows no limit when it comes to inventing stuff. I know. I, I used to say, send me two. One for, you know, personal yeah. <laughs> collection. <laughs> one for my office shelf. The worst people are going, where did that one that we got on Tuesday? Was that gone, Kate? I'm sure you had twice the amount. <laughs> no. <laughs> so these are like the super uh, high-tech sex dolls, the ones that you can warm the skin up and put the vulvas in the dishwasher and that kind of thing. What is the leap from that to a sex robot? Like, And where are we with the tech? It's not that big a leap right now. Right, okay. So the... And again, it's real doll. I'm not just sort of, this is not an advertisement for, for real doll. It's just that they happen to be the ones that are very close to making these things a commercial, you know, commercially viable reality. So they were sort of leading the field for many years. And they took one of their sex dolls and they built an animatronic head for the doll. Okay. For her, because I keep gendering it when I talk about her, but her name is Harmony. And she has a an animatronic head. She can smile, blink, tilt her head at angles. And she has an AI personality. I'm getting the ick already. Oh, the right. Oh. You can interact with her and she will talk to you and she will remember things about you and she will grow her knowledge over time. And she speaks in the most disconcerting, soft Scottish accent. Wow. It's really strange. She looks like a very Barbie-esque figure, a Californian blonde, Pamela Anderson type shape. And then she talks in this very soft Scottish accent. Yeah, They've gone for a Scottish brogue. Yeah. Apparently that was, they tested different voices and that was the one that appealed most to the manufacturer. How interesting. So what what can Harmony do? She can swivel her head and she can go, all right, wee laddie. <laughs> <laughs> Donald <laughs> Russia chooses. <laughs> What you got under your kilt, sunshine? Um, so she can do that. What else? Can she do anything else? Not quite. I think they're working on a on a vagina that is warming and vibrating or moving. That I mean, that would be a brave test subject, wouldn't mm. it? That well, they have people who who test harmony. Yes, they have. There is a man called Brick Dollbanger, and he called what? Sorry, Brick Dollbanger. Right. Okay. Okay. And he tests harmony and gives feedback. And, and and is the feedback good? Yeah, it seems to be. Yeah. So but this interesting thing about the Harmony, I mean, this has been in prototype for years and only now I think are they actually building and shipping. But the AI personality aspect, you can buy that as a standalone app. So you can buy the Harmony girlfriend experience, the personalized app, only available on Android. Uh, <laughs> so fittingly. How is she different from Siri? She's a lot dirtier than Siri. Yeah, well, Siri Siri's really just a glorified voice search engine, whereas Harmony will engage in Real Doll X, as it's called, will engage in conversation with you. And there are other types of apps like that out there. And if anyone's used, there's one called Replica. And Replica also does this kind of girlfriend thing, will interact with you, then pipe when you're not interacting with her enough and, and gets droppy with you if, you've, if, you, if you're not paying enough wow. attention. Oh and do, make these really passive-aggressive comments. It's not what you said, it's just the way you said it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so for about 20 quid, you can buy the Harmony app. And get nagged from your phone. My God, 
I mean, one of the things that I think is really interesting to come out of this is, as you just said, sex robots at the moment are at the point where Harmony can swivel ahead and deliver some dirty talk in some dulcet Scottish tones. Like, we're not at the point yet where it's safe to for a robot to give you a hand job or meet your mother, right? The hand job bit, there was a robot being developed called Samantha by Sergei Santos in, in Barcelona, and he was trying to do that with the hands but he didn't build the robot itself he built the ai for it and was actually a really interesting piece of work because he wanted to build a reciprocal relationship so the nicer you were to samantha the more likely she was to be up for it yeah and it was actually a really interesting vision uh, and a much more equitable vision i think but he got really negative media coverage because he took the samantha robot to a trade show uh, on an exhibition floor and told people that they could touch doll and people of course when they're being told you have permission to touch this touched a bit too much and there was damage and the newspapers were reporting this as people molesting a doll which he was really indignant about he said that's not molestation there was no sexual intention they were just handling something they'd been told they could handle so he just quit after that he said i can't oh really anymore yeah one of the things that's kind of kicking off about this even though the technology it's there but it's still very much in development-ish stages is that we're already having big ethical debates around this and there's already like a a big furious pushback and it's probably not just because of the ick although that I definitely think that underpins quite a lot of it but there have been a lot of uh, concerns from some feminist groups about what this means and what this and that it's disgusting and it's terrible and this is like the ultimate objectification of women it's like Stepford Wives come true Blah, blah, blah. What do you think? Are there, are there moral implications for this? Do you think that's just media sensationalised? A lot of it is media sensationalism. However, I do. I share some of those concerns. I share the objectification concern mm. because I don't think that perpetuating body images that are damaging to women is a good thing. And we have enough of that going on already without adding to it in another sphere. That said, the actual act of people having sex with, with something that is not real, there's no harm there. And a lot of the arguments are being made, oh, if they treat these, you know, stand-in substitute women badly, then they're going to treat real women badly. Well, for starters, every single person I've spoken to is so respectful of their dolls. And not just because they're paying, you know, thousands of pounds for them, but they are genuinely cherish and care about these dolls. And when I broached that subject with some doll owners about what about people being abusive towards the dolls, they said, oh, there's one or two people who might be like that, but they're not a welcome part of our community. So I think you have outliers in anything like that. And also this whole they won't know how to act in real life thing. This is, does not hold for me at all in any form of robotics. No, I don't think that's true. Well, I mean, look at, so we all always have the old um, argument around computer games. Does it cause violence? Answer, no, basically. Uh, there's been years of work on that and no conclusive answers and actually quite a lot to indicate that it doesn't cause violence. But also fantasies. We walk around with the most depraved fantasies in our head. Well, at least I do. <laughs> the most depraved fantasies in our heads, but we never act them out don't act them out yeah in a way that is harmful to anyone right they they sort of they kind of stay there or you find someone who will share a little bit of that depravity and you keep it between yourselves but it doesn't you know we know how to behave in different contexts it doesn't translate that if we act out of fantasy that we're going to act it out in real life there are just a few people perhaps who would do that and they're they've got problems (laughs) that's that's in any facet of life you have that so that's so true we do not run around acting like we do in the bedroom that's you just don't like you have sexual fantasies and you know i've i've never once treated a man like 
a vibrator and tried to put batteries in him, for example. <laughs> <laughs> the mental picture there is great. <laughs> How do I turn it off? Um, the, like, I've been, I'm being facetious, but I think that that's a really strong point. It's just because this something turns somebody on. Does, it does not mean that they're no longer a responsible citizen something else that i've heard and this is a really complex one is it's the issue of consent i have heard people saying these dolls can't consent you are by definition having sex with this completely passive female form that can't consent and that kind of that gets very head screwy because you kind of like but it's it doesn't need to because it's not real because there i don't really see that much difference between that and a sex toy because we don't ask for consent for sex toys but we are still probably going through similar thought processes when we engage with them because we're probably fantasizing or yeah. you know thinking about it as if it is well maybe because, maybe as if it is real or maybe it's just because it's a nice sensation we we never consider that it's completely different if there's a person there you know that's it's it's again it's it's that uncanny thing again isn't it is because it looks yeah. like a, a real body yeah which is why actually i i say move away from the humanoid sex robot thing because it's it's they're really difficult to make mm. they're really expensive to make the storage of them is really difficult because where do you keep your sex robot in a small flat that's what i want to know i mean you need a special sex robot cupboard really of course or you have her around all the time, or him. Oh, do they make them for women? Do they make men sex robots for women? Well, there are sex robots, male versions, that they sell to gay men and straight women. It's really hard to get a woman to talk about owning a sex doll. And have you found anyone? Really hard. <laughs> it's really hard, she said, <laughs> hopefully. really disappointed after two grand and it's not. So have you found any women who would talk about their experiences with this? I haven't, but there was a recent article by Hallie Lieberman who wrote the book Buzz and she was she did an article recently on it and found women to talk to her about it and it's really interesting okay I spoke to her a couple months ago and, and that I she did actually mention that and I think she said that they weren't an overwhelming success uh no so the, I think again it was similar actually to the the way that the men are behaving with them in that there's a kind of a relationship or a projected relationship aspect to it so yeah, but it's really if you know it's taboo enough for men, it's it's you know multiply taboo, super taboo, super taboo for women. I just see this as being something that like you know it was like a fad, like um like the running machine or the weights, and that your sex doll would just would just end <laughs> just up would, yeah, would just have it. washing hanging off it, but <laughs> just standing there with you know the t-shirt draped off his arm. Like yeah. what? I, yeah, and where would you keep it? Right, okay, so so they are out there then. What do you think? Is the future for these things because there's this fear that that's, we're going to be unleashed this nymphomaniac sex bot army like Austin Powers. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Well, what does that tell you about male ideas of control? I mean, really, <laughs> that you're going to unleash these women and who are untamable and who'll break their programming and rise up against the patriarchy. I say, bring oh, it, bring it. Well, no. So I, in in reality, I don't think that sex robots is going to be anything more than a niche thing in their physical form mm. because of all these reasons. However, the AI side of it with the virtual experience, yes, I can absolutely see that being much more commonplace. Oh, of course, virtual sex. So either VR, augmented reality, or just with online interactions with an AI, with a chatbot and a dirty talking chatbot. And there is definitely, that is a scope. And we, so I ran two hackathons, one in 2016 and then again in 2017, uh, Sex Tech Hack, 
uh, and then Sex Tech Hackers Second Coming. Oh, nice. And, <laughs> <laughs> and we, um, we, we brought together people from all walks of life, so not just techies, but psychologists, artists, musicians, sex toy industry experts. And we got, got people into groups and they prototyped new forms of sex tech and sexual experiences. And it was absolutely fascinating. It was, it was really, really interesting. And it was anything from, in the first year, a sexual cryptocurrency. So you had to rub a real world leather wallet to generate a sexual crypto coin. And the idea was that you could love sex or love money, but you couldn't have both. Wow. So there was other things like you know, people doing filters to get around porn blocks. There were people creating vibrators that would be driven by music or by stock market fluctuations. I like that one. No way. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck the system. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was their that was subtitle. And then the two that got prizes, which were my favorite, the overall winner was a, a soft robotics one where they made almost like tentacles out of soft rubber that you could put on your arms or on your legs or on your genitals, wherever you wanted. And when you squeezed a controller, it pumped air into the tentacles and made them curl around your body. It was really, really interesting. Nice. It was really, it was really nice. And then the other one was a group that said, you know, you can tell very easily when someone is aroused and they have a penis because it's very visible, but you can't tell arousal visually from a vagina. So they got a, a vaginal egg and they covered it in moisture sensors. And when the moisture sensors were triggered, it opened up a giant paper fan, like an external giant paper fan to signal. Oh, my God. To signal arousal. And, you know, as as an art concept, that's really wonderful. But think of you could do things with prosthetics with that as well. I mean, there's all sorts of really interesting places that could go. Wow. It was really exciting and really interesting. And then the following year, the group that won, they made what I called a, a sensuous shawl and what they called a sex blanket. And it was a shawl with sensors attached to it. So you placed the shawl on your body with these sensors on your skin. And then if you were in a virtual or an augmented reality environment and say you saw rose petals falling from the ceiling, well, that would trigger the sensors on your skin. So you'd think that you were feeling those rose petals. So you could control these multimodal, multi-sensorial experiences. And And I think that's so promising. I think that that would be where the sex robots for women would go is if you could create something where you can kind of transport yourself into some film tv series whatever it is and live out your fantasy with that character like mr darcy for example coming out of the lake if like you could go and if you could like drops of water on your skin yeah drops of water on your skin and tentacles and your genitals and all of us i think that 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 would be (laughs) 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 oh so i I don't think that future of sex tech is scary after talking to you. It's not scary. And I should say that in all of these things, when people say, oh, you can never love something that can't love you back. Can I just say that humans have been doing that for years? That's so true. Years and years. And we also, not just with other humans, but we also build parasocial relationships with characters. Like you say, characters in films and books all the time. But you're right. We do form these odd erotic attachments to sometimes things that aren't even real. Like at least a sex robot is real but you know we're having fantasies about a film character that's completely fictional exactly and it's you know the fanfic world is absolutely testament to that and i love it it's wonderful people have created whole universes whole alternative canons about the characters that they love i think that's a beautiful thing it's not wild that human beings do that i mean we've got to be the only creature on the entire planet that has this kind of in-depth fantasy 
life. And I think the really lovely thing is that it's not going to replace human-human relationships. This is just not going to happen. Look at how we are just programmed in our DNA to seek out other humans. So I'm not afraid that we're somehow going to get replaced by machines. I just don't think that will happen at all. You heard it here first, folks. I agree. You go and enjoy your sex toys and machinery and you have fun with that but kate if people want to find out more about you and your work and they should because it's fascinating where can they look you up well they can first of all they can read my book read the book (laughs) read my book it's called turned on science sex and robots and it goes into all of this stuff you'll find me on twitter all the time at dr kate devlin or drkatedevlin.com for more fantastic thank you so much you have been so much fun to talk to this morning likewise I do hope that you've enjoyed this episode as much as I did with Kate. If you like what you've heard, please don't forget to like, review and subscribe wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Join me again Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex scandal in society, a podcast by History Hits. This podcast includes music by Epidemic Sounds. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Thank you for listening to this episode of Betwixt the Sheets. Please follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget, you can also listen to all these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com forward slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use the code BETWIXT at checkout.